Welcome to the How to Love Yourself No Matter What podcast. My name is Amanda Hess, and I am a certified life coach. If you are like me, you know that self-love is important. But did you know that it's the number one thing missing when it comes to creating a life you love? Listen in, friend. I'm going to share all my secrets because you deserve to love yourself starting now. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, I am so, so excited to introduce a very, very special guest. I have Maggie Reyes here on my podcast today, and I feel like life has come full circle having her here. I have been on her podcast a few times, and I am a former client of hers. And so Maggie, she specifically works with women, helping them create a better marriage, like a marriage that they actually want. And if you listen to my podcast, you should know, like, this is the Maggie. This is my very first life coach and who I lovingly think of as my coaching mama. And I asked her if she would be willing to come on the podcast because in all honesty, working with Maggie transformed my life in such a major way. I can't even begin to show my gratitude to her. But I also want, if you're listening and you're feeling very stuck and you feel like you don't know what to do and you feel like nobody understands you, I know that when I first met Maggie, that's how I felt. And she was the very first person that I met when I was looking for help that allowed me to believe that I could say anything and she would love me anyway. And that is really why I'm even having this podcast today. So Maggie, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to say hello to everyone while I take a deep breath. I might cry. We don't know what's going to happen to just see your life evolve over the last few years and everything that you've accomplished and everything that you become. I'm, I'm that person that I'm incredibly proud and delighted and and it just means so much to be here and to be talking about this. And, and I just want to say, you know, I'm also a client of coaches where I feel like they help me change my life and it's such a profound thing. And I'm so grateful, but you also changed my life. And I think sometimes we don't talk about that. Like when we get to practice our craft and we get to be in loving connection with another human, like we change each other's lives in different ways. And as I've sort of grown in my own journey as a feminist and as a person that believes in collaboration and equality and non-hierarchical structures, I think it's interesting to just bring that out to everyone who's listening is like we all change our, each other's lives in different ways. And I am equally as grateful to you for all the ways that I've grown as a human and as a coach and all the different interactions that we've had over the years. So thank you. Yeah, I love that. I love that now I consider you to be a friend, a colleague, a mentor. And, you know, I think you're totally right. I do notice that with my own clients as well, that it's transformative when you coach another person and it can really um, change you in yeah. doing that. And I think as coaches, we're always striving to be better. We're always looking for the way that we can really help the other person. And we're very open and receptive to that. But you know, I just remember my experience and I came to you very highly triggered and yeah. really reactive. And I mean, I'm pretty sure I cried on every call. And 
also was angry on calls and shut down and all of the things. Um, but the one thing that I knew is that for one thing, you were always going to be really excited to see me, which was so fun. Truth, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like more excited to see me than anyone else in my life. That's for sure. And also that I just knew that I could tell you anything and that that was going to be okay. And I think that's the gift of coaching. I just don't know that I've ever had that experience anywhere else. What about you? Um, yeah. Where have I had that experience? I mean, I think I think the difference with coaching is that the person doesn't have a vested interest in what you do one way or another. Because I can certainly think of close friends of mine where I could tell them anything, and but they would want to direct me in a particular direction. And I think in coaching, it's like, hey, these are your options. Which one's called to you? Like, I don't care which one you choose. Like, you can keep that mindset if you want, but is there something more valuable? So I think that 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 um, loving detachment that we often create in coaching is something that's very unique and different than even a close friendship or a close relationship of another kind. And I think that just putting ourselves in rooms where we feel uncomfortable yet supported in a variety of ways, you could do it with a personal trainer. You could do it with, with, I don't know, taking a cooking class. Like it could, it could, be, it could look very different for, for different people, but I think putting ourselves in rooms where we feel uncomfortable yet supported is very valuable and, and, and useful if we're interested in growth. If we're not interested in growth, it doesn't matter so much. But if you're listening to a podcast like this one, you're probably interested in growth. So <laughs> I, mean, I hope so. Yeah. I, it's going to be a challenging thing to listen to if you're not. <laughs> yeah. I love that idea of being uncomfortable yet supported. I actually think you're so right too. You can look for that in so many different areas of your life. Like for me, figure skating has become that for me. And I actually just wrote this like letter to my coaches saying, thank you so much for the past four months and, and helping me feel included and not silly for being 46 years old and being like, oh, I haven't skated for 30 years. I think I'm going to do this and I'm going to compete in this competition and I'm going to put on this really short sparkly dress and like go out there with my music, with people watching me. And like, that's just very uncomfortable in case anybody is wondering. Um, but having that supportive environment of my skating club and my coaches and having them be there with me and be like, it's great. You skated beautiful. You know, you're doing amazing. And these are things we're going to keep working on. And just, I think that when you start looking for that in your life, you can find it. Yes. Whatever you look for in your life, your brain will help you find it. So let's just check in on what we're looking for. It's always a good idea, 100%. And I have to say, as an observer of your skating journey, I find it endlessly inspiring. It really has um, wakes up in me like, what is possible? What might I want to do when I'm 50? I don't know. I might want to do something wild like that. So I think sometimes we don't realize when we follow our intuition or when we follow our impulses for creativity how we are serving ourselves in a way like we're helping ourselves with our own mental health, but we never know the effect that will have on other people. And I just want everyone who has an impulse to do something that might feel a little wacky. It's like you are helping yourself and you're also helping others when you share about it. So powerful. Yeah. And I think the other thing to keep in mind too, and like, you know, in speaking to women out there, whether you're partnered or not, but in all honesty, it seems to happen a lot when you have a partner or even just when you're a mom, you tend to have all the things you think you have to do, which is a lot of route tasks like making dinner and getting groceries and doing the laundry and driving kids places and going to work. And 
I just like have really embraced. And thanks to you, honestly, first of all, letting a lot of that stuff go. And also by deciding that me liking my life is important. Oh, yes, please. And thank you. (laughs) Us liking our lives is important. It actually matters. Right. We live in a society like sort of our Western industrialized society where liking our lives, especially for women, we're not socialized for that to be important. And first of all, it's absolutely revolutionary to to say that as a woman, even in 20 freaking 22, like to say that. Mm -hmm. And what I always think is in a marriage or in a family where there's kids and other commitments, doing something for yourself doesn't take away from your family or your marriage, it contributes. Mm. And we're, we're very socialized to say, if I do something that prioritizes time or t- like takes time away or takes money away, like we think about it as taking away versus if I love myself deeply and enjoy myself and find pleasure and joy in something like skating or like a hobby or something like that, that only contributes to being the example for my family, to coming to my family from a place of a full well where I have so much to give because I'm well-nourished. It's really, really the opposite. And I think that having this conversation is so important because people don't usually think of it that way. I love that thought of like, I'm not taking away, I'm contributing. I think that that is 100% true. And you know, I always think it's super, super interesting. And you probably have this experience too, when I'm coaching someone and they're beating themselves up for like not having fun with their kids and not having fun with their partner. And they're upset that it's never fun and they don't like, they're not creating fun and they're also not having fun. And you know, when you really look at your life, it's like, well, of course you're not having fun if you think that all you do is cook and clean and provide. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's nuance to everything. I think that you can't have fun if you're exhausted or overwhelmed or mm-hmm. in a stress cycle. And so we need to check, like, how much are you working? What are you doing? Have you taken on too much? Like, we need to just check some basics. Have you slept? Yes. Right. You know, there was a chapter where I had, I had, I was very prickly and I was like, wait, I'm not sleeping. Oh my gosh. Everything makes so much sense now. Right. Um, so we need to check on the basics and then we need to see, can we bring any fun to some of these things? Sometimes mm-hmm. we can't. Right. And, and that's okay. But we check first, could we bring any fun to some of these things? And it's like, what would be fun for me? Like, Sometimes it's like, yes, we do something that's fun for the kids, something that's fun for the partner, and then what's fun for me, and then we mix and match, right? So it's not, it's not always their kind of fun. Sometimes it's my kind of fun. Right? Yeah. I've, I hear that. Cause I mean, being in a family of all boys, like having two sons, a male dog and a husband, let me tell you, my family does not want to watch the kind of movies that I want to (laughs) watch. But sometimes it's my movie night. Yeah. Like, listen, people, this is what's happening. Movie, and they all make fun of it because it'll be yeah. some terrible movie. I'll be like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, oh, I'm so glad it's not your turn to pick for like four weeks. <laughs> I love that you take turns. That's so awesome. Like, I think that's important to, if we want to be collaborative, what does collaboration look like in whatever relationship we're in and whatever structure that we're in, I think is so important. And also permission to like turn the movie off if it isn't fun, right? Mm-hmm. My husband and I, sometimes we both are into the thing and we're like, let's watch this thing. And then 20 minutes in, I'm like, I'm not getting it. And he's like, yeah, this is kind of sucks. And we just like go and do something else, right? Yeah. So I think that one of the things in society is like we have this 
erroneous notion that things have to look a certain way. Like if we start watching the movie, we have to watch it until the end. Yes. Versus we could like try it for 20 minutes. And if we don't like it, we could just watch something else. Love that. Yeah. That's so good. I think you're right. We do have like these ideas that have been, you know, pushed into us by just being like a societal norm. And it's, you can just stop. You can be like, I don't like this. I remember it's kind of tragic, but after 9-11 in the United States, we were in this period of mourning as a country. And I used to travel to New York all the time. And it, it was a very visceral, real experience for me, like in my personal life. And I remember after that, time I would be driving and some song would come on the radio that I didn't like and I used to be that person that would just like leave the radio on and never change the station and just there'll be another song and after 9-11 I'm like life is too short to listen to songs you don't like yeah I love that anything could happen we don't know what the future holds I am never listening to a song I don't like again (laughs) it's just (laughs) that is the best And for everyone listening, you know, it may not be a song, but it might be some other thing that's happening in your life that it's like, wait, do I really want it this way? Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's what you really teach in marriage too, right? Is like, is to really look at it. First of all, to look at it in a way that's the truth, which we, the way we think about it isn't always the truth, right? I think it is though. We're like, obviously it's all his faults and you know, this is a problem. (laughs) He needs to change. (laughs) So like 98% of my clients are like, my husband is the problem. Help me solve him. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. Let's take a step back. Let's just see. What do we have control over? Our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. Let's mm-hmm. check those first. See what we find, right? And usually we find so much that we never, we never go over there. Um, but it's just this idea, like we we have more power than we think we have to influence more outcomes than we think we have. And I think we confuse power and um, control and influence a lot. Like, just because we can't control something doesn't mean we can't influence how it goes. Yeah. And sometimes when we think we can't control it, we can then completely abdicate our influence at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, but we can influence. How how do we want it to go? What what do we want this to feel like? Whether it's a relationship like a marriage or a job or whatever it is. Oh, I totally agree. Like, if you think about it, you know, when the last fight you had with anyone, whoever it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, the way you approached it was the catalyst. Yes. Like that's the spark. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Amanda has the last fight I had with someone was an insurance agent about the insurance for my car. And it was not pretty. The cubanity came out. It was not. (laughs) I am not proud of it, but I do like to share things like that because I'm a coach and I know I talk about like personal development and all these different tools. I'm like, I have to use all my tools right? It's not like I live on a mountain where nothing happens, but I let this woman have it. I just was not bashful. And after the call, I was like, did I do the right thing? You know? And it was really interesting because what she was responding was, well, this isn't my fault and you shouldn't speak to me like this, Mm. ma'am. You know? And I was like, actually, she was my representative for my account. And she took three weeks to respond to something that I followed up on multiple times. And the only reason we were having the conversation was because I called Mm -hmm. and I was like, actually, it is her responsibility. Mm -hmm. It actually was. She was the person that had Mm -hmm. to do the thing. And I just changed insurance companies. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I was just like, this is not, 
this no longer matches with the kind of treatment that I want to have. Yes. It's no longer okay. It could have been okay at some point in my life and now it's no longer okay. I think that's so valid in every area. Like that's like really what you teach even in marriage, right? Like you get to decide what are the deal breakers for you. Yes. But before you know what that is, you're going to have to look and see like what is really happening and what am I in control of and what am I not in control of and how am I showing up and do I like how I'm showing up? Like you have to look at all of that first before you can make the decision. Yeah. And even in this, yeah. Even in this scenario with the insurance company, like after we hung up, I was like, I wasn't proud of how I showed up. I really would show up differently if I was like more intentional and not in a Mm -hmm. like stress cycle. But even realizing that I was like, but the end result is I don't like how I'm treated and I still am going to make the the same decision. I'm just going to like having assessed where I could improve next time, really owning my part of it Mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, I own this. I didn't have to react quite as passionately as I did. And I still want something different. Mm -hmm. Even after that reflection and that introspection and that analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's a bit of a dance, right? Because I think that we want to have the right answer. Like what is the right thing to do? And it's like, there is no right thing to do. That's sin. Don't get me started or get me started a minute. (laughs) So, um, there is a fabulous uh, group called um, dismantlingracism.org. There's a website, dismantlingracism.org. And they have assessed the characteristics of white supremacy culture in the United States. So it's from a United States lens, to be clear, because I know this show is heard all over the world. And one of the things that they studied was this idea that there's one right way and that's the only way and everything else is the wrong way is a pervasive cultural narrative of white supremacy culture that is like the ocean that we swim in if we're in sort of the Western colonized world, so to speak. And it messes us up on so many levels because then we have a lot of blame, a lot of guilt, a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we talk about anxiety all the time. We have all this anxiety and we don't stop to say, well, what is the ocean that I'm swimming in? These thoughts are not happening in a vacuum. These thoughts about how I want to do something different are happening in a culture that tells me there's only one right way. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm going to feel anxious. Yes. I think that's so important. I mean, this is what I see a lot, and I'm sure you do too, is that I have clients that come to me that are familiar with thought work. So they understand that their thoughts create their feelings and they use that, they weaponize that against themselves. And I'm like, listen, you get to think whatever you want. It's literally not a problem. All it's creating is an emotion. It's just you want to look at like, is the result the result you want? And then you want to be able to go back in and get curious and be like, what's, you know, what do I want to think about this? And what do I want to believe about this? And, you know, maybe that reaction was warranted. And where did that reaction come from? And just looking at it from the standpoint of, I wonder what was going on with me instead of I did that wrong. Yes. I wonder what was going on with me is such a great question. It's one that you really taught me because I was very much like black and white. I mean, so many people are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really how our brains work. Yeah. And you even taught that to me. Like, you're not, you know, abnormal. Of course you think that way. Yeah. Um, But, you know, just being able to look for, you know, I have always loved that about you and your coaching, like look for the nuance. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that. I really believe that. Especially with high achieving people who who are, are like 
have, have so many amazing accomplishments in so many aspects of your life, which, which when we worked together, you had all these amazing, beautiful things that you had created that were amazing things. And it's like the 1% shift where the nuance is what makes the difference, where it really is like, oh, in this one subtle way, we could go in this direction. And I think we forget that, especially high achievers. Like sometimes we do have dramatic moments of great sort of leaps in our awareness or great accomplishments that we have. But most of the time, it's really this little 1% subtle shift of I'm going to pause and breathe before I do that, or I'm going to set an intention before I join that meeting. Or it's like this, these tiny, tiny moments that are massively powerful. Yeah. I, I think that's huge. Even I remember you did a coaching thing. I think it was in the new year. It was a yeah. Week. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I came on and you talked about having that emotional dial. So maybe yes. you can talk a little bit about that because I think it's a really yeah. impactful thing to hear about that emotional dial. Totally. So I teach something called the anger scale, which um, arose because many of my clients, so they're in marriages and they're frustrated and they have a lot of resentment and they have a lot of anger. And so anger is something we process quite a lot in a variety of ways in my coaching practice. And so the anger scale was really because what I was seeing was a lot of all or nothing thinking around anger. I'm either 100% angry or not. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were, we, I include myself in this, I've certainly done this. Like we're equally upset. It's like the sock is on the floor or like we forgot the mortgage payment. Like, like these things that are massively different, but our anger level was equal, you know, for these things. So in coaching one of my clients, I was like, well, wait, if we made a scale and we went from one to 10 and 10 is like the most angry and one is like the least angry, like where are the socks? She's like, oh, that's maybe a two. Like, okay, where's the mortgage thing? Oh, that's probably a 10. So we started really finding the nuance of anger is not an on-off switch. It's more like a dimmer, like the dial. It's more like it could be a one, it could be a five, it could be a 10. And in the in the tool itself, in the anger scale, it's very simple to use. You ask yourself, you know, how upset do I want to be about this on a scale of one to 10? And you find your number. And then you decide at, at what number you're going to actually do something about it. So with that client, for everybody it's different, but for that client, if, I, if anything was like below a six, just drop it. Yeah. You just don't do anything. You, instead of like arguing about all the things all the time, every day, 24 seven, it's like, nope, I'm just going to pick up the socks and keep going. Right. Um, now for someone listening, the socks might be a 10. So for everybody, it's going to be different. Right. And then if it is a six or above, then it's like, oh, what does this require a conversation? Does it require a different negotiation? Does it require some, some new plan? Or like, I, if, I don't even know if it was her, but I do remember using this tool and somebody was like, oh, we just need like a hamper at the door. So mm. we solve the problem by like, okay, how do we solve this problem? Oh, we're going to do something different in the house. And now I never have to worry about that thing again. So it's like, what action do I need to take or what strategy do I need to employ if it is above a six or above or whatever? So that was your sort of original tool. And then when we were talking about the dial, it's like we can use that tool for any emotion. We can think about mm-hmm. fear or anxiousness or anything like that. And we can say, okay, I'm afraid at a level two. Okay, well, you know, fear happens. It's okay. I'm just going to go about my day with my level two fear. It's fine. Oh, I'm afraid at a level nine. I might need more support. I might need to talk to my coach. I might need to journal. I might need to get other kinds of help from my family, from my friends, from other things, from other sources. So I think that idea that we aren't 
on off switches that most of the things in our life are more like a dimmer or a dial helps me process and categorize or take my brain to a different place when I'm going through something. Yeah, I love it so much because I think just by even thinking about that dial taps you into a more curious place. And because when you're thinking this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening this way, it's like pouring on more pressure because then you're thinking I can't handle it. And then it just like ramps up whatever emotion it is, be it anger, be it anxious, be it, you know, whatever it is for you. And if you can just turn it down one notch, just one little movement, you can experience a lot less pain. Yes. At the very least. At the very least, you experience less less pain and you can usually then keep going and build momentum around the whatever the thing is that you're working on in your life. So I like to think about anything that keeps you in movement is usually helpful because you keep working through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important, right? I mean, I think that that's the thing is we tend to do this whole start stop thing with a lot of a lot of things, especially things we really care about, that we want them to work out like we really do want them to work out. Yeah. So then we do like really great action. I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, even like with your kids, right? Like you're like, okay, we're going to do family night and we're going to make popcorn and we're going to play cards and then we're going to watch a show. And then you do that. And then the following night you're feeling kind of tired yeah. and then you kind of beat yourself up. And then the next thing you know, you're on your phone and you're doing nothing with your kids and they're gaming in their bedroom. And then you're kind of upset about that. And you're like, well, this isn't really working. Like family game night doesn't really do anything. And it's like, that's because you think it's all or nothing. A hundred percent. And also you need to give yourself moments of rest. This is another Mm -hmm. thing that I see a lot in my clients. You probably see it a lot too, which is if we look at nature, there are seasons. If we look at the ocean, there's an ebb and a flow. If we look at day, there's night, right? But we live in an industrialized productivity focused factory um, driven society, which, you know, a factory can just run 24 seven, a computer can run 24 seven, like all of these sort of things in our life can just run. But humans are not built to just always be running, but Mm -hmm. we act as if we are. And then we blame ourselves for not, as opposed to saying, we can have family night, Friday night. That's awesome. Saturday, everybody gets to do whatever they want. You get to rest and do whatever you like. And then you can enjoy being on your phone and you can enjoy playing your game. And it's not a problem that that's mm-hmm. happening. When we sort of zoom out and notice that in nature, like nothing blooms, almost nothing blooms year round. There's always some kind of ebb and flow. Yeah. And even if it does bloom year round, every single stem isn't blooming at the same time. Like that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, it's like this impossible expectation we put on ourselves and then we get mad at ourselves for not meeting it. And then we think, oh, I have so much anxiety. But it's like, wait, where is the anxiety coming from? It's like, wait, we created this impossible expectation and then got mad at ourselves and worried and anxious because we weren't meeting it. But if we question the root, that's why the type of coaching that Amanda and I do is really powerful because we often will dig in until we find the root. And when you question that, that's also how you can make changes relatively quickly or that are seem very, very impactful in, in, you know, if you've had a problem for 10 years and you solve it in six months of coaching, hello, right? That's a very quick, quick 
way to do it. But it's because we dig around to things like what are the cultural narratives? What else is influencing this? What is the root cause of this? And then we solve for that instead of just solving for the symptom. Yeah, that's so important. I think that's so true. Like I give the analogy, like if you have a wound and then you put a Band-Aid on it, that's great and all, but you're still going to have to go and disinfect the wound. Yeah. Or it's going to become a huge problem. You can't yeah. just keep putting fresh band-aids on it. And that's what we tend to do is we, I think especially, well, I'm sure everyone, but of course I coach women. So I tend to see yeah. more in women, but yeah. we tend to think that if we do more, we can feel better. Like, do you see that? Like, if I just do more, it'll get better versus I need to like sit here and think about what's really happening and what do I need right now? Yeah, my tendency is to throw action on things. Like, let me just throw more action on it. And I think that there are times and chapters in our life where that's a coping mechanism that does work, especially if you're a high-achieving sort of driven woman who has had to prove herself in various stages of your career, stages of your life, different things that you've done. We have succeeded by doing more. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we're unprogramming or reprogramming that part of us. It's like, wait, the solution here isn't actually to do more. There's something else that we need to explore. So one of the things I've been working on probably for the last like two or three years is, is, and there was one year that was really my strongest focus is I had a sentence on my computer that said, um, whenever you're tempted to push through, soften instead. Mm. Because my coping mechanism was so much like I was the daughter of a single mom and everything that I did in my life was like pushing through, like get good grades, get a scholarship, like push, 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 push for the things. Mm -hmm. And that was really effective in a certain chapter of my life. And then this chapter, like pushing through is just adding more stress and more anxiousness. It's like, wait, whenever I'm tempted to push through, how can I soften? What would softening look like? Yeah, that's such a great question honestly. And I think I see that so often. We just do get to that point. I think you can push for so long. You can do it for a while. Like willpower will last you for a while, but eventually you're going to burn out. And when you burn out, it's going to be possibly kind of triggering to hear you need to take some rest. (laughs) Well, especially if we think that rest is going to take us away from the thing we want, as opposed to bring us closer to what we want. Mm-hmm. But rest is something that's also been on my mind for my own personal challenges with rest, but for what I see with my clients, which is similar to what you see, which um, I was talking about this recently that, and I had to look it up because I told this to someone and I was like, wait, am I, am I saying this accurately? So I said, you know, sleep is necessary, just actual literal sleep to the human body. It is so necessary that it is considered torture to deprive a human from sleep is a form of torture. So like I looked up the Geneva Convention of the proper treatment of war, uh, anyone who's like a, a prisoner of war. Right. And it is considered inhumane and illegal. It is illegal to deprive ourselves of sleep. Yet we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like we're treating ourselves worse than war criminals would be treated <laughs> in a just society. And we're doing it to ourselves. So that's just something for everybody to th- take, a, take a moment and think about that. Right. Um, Like rest is essential to our functioning, literally. And because I did have um, challenges with actual sleep and I had insomnia for like a year and a half a few years ago, I looked into it and I I, it's something that's close to my heart because I had to really work through it um, and I had to throw everything at it to figure it out. 
And one of the things I learned is when your sleep is impaired, your cognitive abilities are impaired. So you're literally worse at making judgments, at participating in life. So it's like, if you think, oh, for my kids, for my partner, for my job, for my commitments, actually the best thing you can do for anything you care about is rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see it. I mean, I even just look at my own journey, you know, for me, like having, when I had my second baby, I mean, I was not sleeping for so many reasons. Like my C-section was, you know, infected and then I had mastitis and then I had a baby that literally nursed for half an hour and then wanted to nurse every two hours, 24 hours a day. Plus I had a preschooler and, you know, I wasn't sleeping. And so it's no wonder to me that I completely had a mental breakdown. Like, of course I did. Of course. But it wasn't really something that anybody talked about. It wasn't something that anybody, you know, now there's a little bit of conversation with respect to postpartum depression, but I'm like, is it postpartum depression or is it that you're not sleeping? Like literally not Is it a side effect? Sleeping. Yeah. Is it a side effect of not sleeping? I think that there's this disconnect of how we have structured our society which, I mean, I'm a life coach, I'm not a sociologist, maybe sociologists is listening to us and could chime in. Um, but we've structured our society in this very individualistic way where it's a parental unit of two. And then we've made it so that you really can't afford to have both of you at home in most of our sort of developed cultures or underdeveloped, wherever we are, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've put all this responsibility on one human to do the task of an entire village. Mm -hmm. So imagine that you were going through that where, where you had to nurse every couple of hours, but that you had someone in the, in the quote unquote village that would just take care of the baby the other times, that you had the group of the nursing moms that other moms were nursing and everybody traded off and got to have a four hour break or a six hour break mm -hmm. to take a nap. And then everybody nursed everybody's children, right? Like there's a way we've set up society that I was born into it like you were, like, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm just questioning what it looks like today, if this is really how it should continue to look. Yeah. I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. I even noticed the disparity between like how it was for me and that my mom was like, sure, I'll help you, but you have to come to my house. And she was like 40 minutes away and she had horses and I'd have to have a playpen. And then there was the car seat and my kid hated the car and like all the things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, or not. And like, I really, but I also didn't know how to ask for help. Like I didn't know how to say, Hey, I'm drowning here. I need help. I just didn't know how to say that because I was trying so hard to do it the way that I thought you were supposed to do it. And I think like you tell me, but I know for me, for my clients, for sure, that is every single client I have right now is really believing that that's the way life is. I think this idea of drowning, that was a very vivid image. It's like we live in a society that tells you you're supposed to figure out how to get yourself out of the riptide, out of the, mm -hmm. out of the drowning moment. You just, you pick your up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? That narrative of, as opposed to yelling for help, Hey, I'm drowning. Please help me. So it's, it's almost like we can see that we're drowning, but we think the solution is to, is to, flail more yeah. versus to say, I need help and it's okay to need help and everyone needs help. 
and help is normal and how we, as an interdependent species, we are born, like babies are not born being able to live by themselves. They need to be fed. They, like we are born dependent on each other. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that, that interdependency is something we develop amnesia around. And then our culture is, is sort of this fictitious, individualistically um, praising culture because if we look at like the room everybody listening look at the room that you're in right now and try to identify was anything made by you in that room (laughs) right was it made in another country was it made by people you've never met the chair that I'm sitting on the computer that I'm using the headset that I'm wearing we are vastly interdependent but we pretend like we aren't oh yeah that is so interesting I mean it's so true though we do rely on other people all the time. Yeah. But we have some really interesting wiring with respect to our thoughts about that and uh, how we how we look at it. Yeah. Which is and so if, interesting. And if we're strong, independent women who have successful careers or businesses or stuff like that to ask for help, I'm supposed to have it all together. I don't do that. Right. We yeah. have them, we internalize that narrative as opposed to, of course, I'm having a human experience and I need help. And of course, I'm going to ask for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so true that we have consumed so much information about how we should be, mm-hmm. that it makes sense that that's how we think. And I think that, you know, the benefit is, is like, you know, the people that come to work with you, for instance, you're able to pick that apart. You're able to show like, this isn't really the truth. Huh. And the truth can be very malleable. Mm-hmm. Certain things could be the truth of your experience, but not the truth of everyone else's. Certain things could be true, but not useful to focus on. It, certain things could be objectively speaking, proven in court. Mm-hmm. And yet also just because they're objectively accurate doesn't mean we need to focus on them. Um, one of my mentors specifically in feminist coaching, her name is Carlo and and she says, everything is a thought. Mm-hmm. Even the things that we can factually prove in a court, right? They also are thought to say like, so much of our experience is so incredibly male- malleable. It's like, what are the truths that serve us and help us heal? Why don't we focus on those? Yeah. Well, I think that's really powerful because you can choose to help yourself or you can choose to hurt yourself. Now, I don't want anyone listening to use that against themselves. Like I'm hurting and it's my fault. That's not what I mean at all. But it's more so sometimes you just need somebody to show you how to help yourself. Yes. And I think in coaching, we... I know you and I specifically are very committed to showing people how to help themselves, supporting them through it, modeling how we're helping ourselves, which is why we talk so openly about some of the wacky things that we do. And we're like, hey, me too. <laughs> right? Right. Um, and I know that both of us also feel the same way where the point when we discover something difficult or challenging is not to make yourself the villain of your own story. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point is, oh, I didn't know any better. What can I do differently now? And to be the compassionate witness of your story. Yeah. I always like to say to my clients, like, you're not a robot, so don't expect yourself to be one. I mean, 
if we were all showing up in the world perfectly all the time, what a boring place this would be. Yeah. And I think I, I totally agree with that. And I think about emotions a lot because a lot of us, um, I, I'm officially a highly sensitive person, so I have very heightened emotions. <laughs> so imagine if there are some people who walk around the world and they're like in black and white or sepia and they're sort of very sort of muted emotions, but mine are technicolor all the way, right? The good <laughs> ones and the challenging ones, right? Um, and it's like, yeah, imagine removing like half of the colors from your palette and then living life like no we're supposed to go through all of it this is why we have them this is how we were built I don't know why we were built this way but I know that we have all these colors inside of us all these different emotions that we can experience and the purpose of them being there is for us to use them (laughs) well to work with them right because like I just love Byron Katie when she says when you argue with reality you always lose but only 100% of the time because The reality of who you are and the reality of what you feel and how you experience the world is real to you. And therefore, it's the truth. Yes. It's just that you can work with that part of you and you can make your life much less painful and actually a hell of a lot more enjoyable. You can actually have, I just remember when I was diagnosed with having this personality disorder and it just really rocked my world. And I was like, what? I don't, I, what? I don't think that's true. And I was so upset. And then I was told like, oh, people like you have hard times, you know, forming long-term relationships. And I was like, what? Like I'm married, like, should I be worried? And now what I realize is that, I mean, I don't personally think that I have that disorder, but regardless of whether or not I do or I don't, you know, and that's somebody's opinion, even when it is a psychiatrist, um, <laughs> I think that, I really learned how to work with who I actually am. And I really love how you said, like, I see the world in full blazing color. Like it is like a prism and it's all of it. Yes. (laughs) And it's all very bright. So when I feel high, I feel very high. And when I feel angry, I feel very angry. (laughs) I feel sad. I feel very sad. And I can, you can learn to work with that. And I think that like, it's one of the biggest things that you taught me was it, it's fine. It's totally not a problem at all. Yeah. But we're going to just work with you. We don't have to like label it as being a problem or being bad. We'll just work with you. Yeah. We'll just know we need to make space for sadness. Sometimes you'll be sad. How do we want to handle it when it comes up? Yeah. Instead of pretending it's a problem to solve, it's just like, no, we're human. That's going to happen. So how do we want to hold it? What space do we want to give it? It's so huge. So tell me like about your program, because I know that your program has changed since I worked with you. And I would just love to hear about what you're doing now and how you're helping women. Sure. So Amanda and I worked one-on-one very privately and intimately together. It's very special. Mm -hmm. Um, And I now work in a group program called the Marriage MBA, which is also very special in a very different way. One of the most special things about it is I work with very usually type A, very powerful, resourceful women. And one of the things that they see in the group is, oh, wow, she has the same problem I have. And it removes some of the shame and some of that um, anxiousness around like, am I normal? Is it okay that I am successful in all these other ways? And then in this one place, I have a challenge. And so that group experience becomes very powerful to see each other sort of reflected in each other. 
And so it's called the Marriage MBA. And the idea is really to learn how to, first of all, create a breakthrough when you want to have one. Like, what are the tools? So the coaching tools, I use the self-coaching model as Amanda does as well. Um, I also teach something that I, I I now have a name for. I was teaching it and I didn't have a name for it. I'm like, I better come up with a name for this. I teach it all the time. It's stress cycle awareness, which is, am I in fight? Am I in flight? Am I in freeze? Am I in appease? Am I aware of where I am in my own stress cycle? Um, and so much power comes from just the awareness of like, wait, where am I locating myself of where am I reacting from? So different tools like that, that are just, uh, invitations for coming back to resourcefulness and back to your own power. And then we workshop a lot of different things, things like acceptance and boundaries, things like soul-centered communication, which is one of the concepts that I teach, um, with my, uh, studies in feminist coaching, one of the things that I created was an internalized patriarchy relationship inventory, which is a mouthful, but <laughs> it is this way of looking at like, how does the ocean that I'm swimming in affect how I'm relating in my partnership and starting to have awareness around that. And so I just taught it last week. And, and one of the things in that inventory that we talk about is, and I'll ask you, Amanda, what you think about this. There's a mom guilt is a very real thing Mm -hmm. that moms talk about, post about on social media. They feel, we process it. We help people, coach people through it. Have you ever had someone come to you with dad guilt? No. (laughs) Right? Yeah. My husband has felt it when I've guilted him. (laughs) I don't think it (laughs) organically came out. And, And so for everyone listening, the reason that mom guilt is pervasive and dad guilt, if you think about it right now, has any dad ever come to you and said, you know, I feel so guilty. I'm going to the football game and I'm not going to be with my kids for two hours because I'm going to do something fun. That's just for me. Right. That is internalized patriarchy. Mm -hmm. It's something that we accept as a given that we don't even question as part of our society. And it is prioritizing um, men's experience over women's experience. Mm -hmm. And we do it completely unconsciously and don't even, like I said, we don't even realize until we say, wait, that's right dad guilt? Why is that not a thing? Here's why it's not a thing, right? And then, of course, men are socialized in the same society that we are, and many well-meaning, loving, kind, great guys, they don't think about it twice. We don't think about it twice, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine that. So when I teach things in the marriage MBA, as you can see, there's nuance, and we have fun, but we go deep. Yeah. We do have that. so important. I think I love that you said, like, consider the ocean that you're swimming in. And I think that that's really, really important to look at. Like, of course, I have these things that are going on and these are why I've formed the beliefs that I have. And also I'm working in the reality of what maybe society's expectation is. But at the same time, we can start really developing our own thoughts and beliefs about that. And, you know, even when you said when you prioritize your husband, I see women actually also prioritizing their children and prioritizing their dog. Like yeah. legitimately, they're at the bottom. Some people aren't even on their own list. Yeah. I remember many years ago, anyone who follows me for any period of time will learn this. I'm obsessed with Oprah. I grew up watching her on TV. She's my TV mom. Just that's just how it is. And she had Winona Judd on the show, and they were talking about these themes exactly. And Oprah asked her, Well, what are your priorities? And she said, Oh, the dog and the family and the this and the tour and the people and the fans and the thing. And then Oprah said, 
you're not even on your own list. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those like ah, moments, like you're not even on your own list. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know because yeah. I have this conversation, as I'm sure you do too, with almost every single person that I coach. Yeah. And they're all women. So, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, we literally give homework like, you're going to take an hour at least once a week to do something you want to do <laughs> yeah. just because you want to do it. And then they and, can't do it. And I'm not going to name any names, but some of our clients have a lot of resistance to that homework. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to talk about it and like unpack the resistance, which is totally okay and normal, right? Also, let's normalize that too. When we're doing something new, it just feels uncomfortable because it's new. Of course, it's fine to have yes. resistance. Well, I was one of those resistant people. So I feel like, you know, a little called out, but I, I have to say, like, I definitely don't do that anymore. I mean, I horseback ride, I figure skate, I do things for myself. I just don't do that anymore. And this is such a powerful example, because I just want to point out to everyone listening how Amanda, anything that she is teaching or coaching on, she has lived it a hundred percent. She has been in her own resistance. She's processed through it. She's worked through it. She's come out the other side. So when we worked together, which was a few years ago already, none of that was happening. There was no horseback riding and skating and none of that. Right. And Mm -hmm. we started with, I don't know, like reading a book for half an hour just for fun. There's no, no purpose behind it. Like for everyone listening, I just want you to know wherever you are on the spectrum of prioritizing yourself, having yourself on your list or not, just the tiniest step forward, the tiniest step forward can then become compounded over the years of your life when you start valuing yourself and prioritizing yourself. And that 20 minutes becomes an hour. And then that hour becomes an afternoon. And, and, it, and then your whole life, you look back and you say, wow, my life is completely different than it was five years ago. Yeah, it's so true. Like, honestly, if I think about where my life was five years ago, it was completely different, like completely. And, you know, a lot of that, well, all of that I really feel comes from like being able to coach with you. I can't even speak anymore, but just being able to, what you taught was so impactful and it, did it change my marriage? A hundred percent. Did it change my life? A hundred percent. And, you know, I have a great marriage that still has its ups and downs and all the things. And I'm like, it's fine because I've really learned how to operate in the nuance of my marriage. And, you know, I just want anybody listening to know if you are struggling in your marriage, but you really want your marriage to work out and you're like, you know, I really want this marriage to work, but I just don't know what to do next. You need to reach out to Maggie. When are you when are you enrolling your program? So it enrolls several times a year. So if you're listening to this in March of 2022, it's going to start enrolling at the end of the month. So you should absolutely come to MaggieReyes.com forward slash group and check out all the details there. And if you're listening to this, who knows? Hello, future listener, <laughs> listener of the future. Um, just go to MaggieReyes.com and whatever it is that I'm working on, you'll be able to find and see um, there. And I love normalizing that, of course, we're going to have ups and downs. Mm-hmm. We're just going to know how to handle them. Yes. It's like you've got a toolbox now and you know what tool to pull out to use. Yes. Versus I before, think, you're like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then we often stay stuck in dynamics that don't work for us and that actually um, start getting worse and worse and worse because anything that we don't address is just going to escalate. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you have a toolbox, it's like you can cut it sooner 
I always say the fight you don't start is the fight you don't have to recover from. So for anyone out there who's like fight, fighting is one of the things that you do a lot. Think about not having to recover from a fight and having a week or a month or two months where you haven't actually had a fight. And now you can enjoy each other's company. You can plan things together. You can enjoy things as opposed to constantly being in a rupture, repair, rupture, repair, roller coaster. So the fight you don't start is the fight that you don't need to recover from. In order to not start a fight, there's a bunch of things you need to do. You need to check where you are in your anger. You need to check where you are with your needs. Have you slept? Like all the different things we talked about today go into that ability just for that one simple thing of being like, oh, I don't actually need to start a fight about this. I just need to ask for help or Mm -hmm. I just need to change. I just need to put the thing by the door, whatever the different thing may be for each person. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And I mean, in all honesty, if this sounds like a lot, then I really believe like you should reach out book yourself in to be in Maggie's group because it will all make sense. It will all come together. It all works together. And I will say this, and and I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I really need to say, when you work with a coach, you are the person doing the work. So I, while I received the lovely compliment and the beautiful acknowledgement of like that it was powerful and it was good, you're the person going out in your life doing the things And no amount of brilliant coaching can account for you still have to run your own bases. If you think about baseball, which is the only sport I understand, (laughs) the coach cannot run the bases for you, no matter how good they are. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, I want to work one-on-one with someone and I need some help, then you need to reach out to Amanda because Amanda knows how to run the bases. She, as you can tell by the conversation we're having She has run her own bases, continues to run them, and she can see from a holistic view, hey, you might fall down when you get to second base. You might want to avoid that pothole over there. Here's what happened to me. Here's here's what could happen to you. What do you want to do when you get to to that base? (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to mention that that we, especially when we want to live in a collaborative society where, like we talked about in the beginning, like, we each change each other's lives in different ways. Oh, yes, 100% coaching is super valuable and amazing. And I'm all in it. I'm all about it. And for everyone listening, we help you make it simple. We help you make it doable. If it feels like a lot, it's okay. You can do hard things. But it also is like one coaching call at a time, one decision at a time, one little 20-minute session where you're reading a book or taking a deep breath or walking around the block. Like it is this series of very, very, very simple tasks that sometimes we just feel massive resistance to doing and we need to work through. But most of the things we talk about and do are actually very simple and very doable. The thing that gets in our way is our limiting beliefs around, are they possible for me? Can I have them? Is it okay? Am I taking something away from someone? All the different things we've talked about today. Yeah, that's such a valid point. I think that knowing that you're the one that's going to be doing the work, but you're going to have the support so you can do it. And there will be somebody helping you. Yeah. You know, even Maggie and I talked before we hit record and we were talking about how, um, or maybe it was earlier in the podcast. I can't remember, but having, um, being uncomfortable, like putting yourself in an uncomfortable place, but having love and support while you're doing it. Yes. A safe spot to land. Yeah. Yeah. Because is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes. But Anything worth having 
you're going to have to go through some discomfort. And I believe that's the truth. That's my thoughts about it. But, you know, I just think about my own life and that I have so much evidence for that, that I believe that to be true. Like you can do uncomfortable things and they're going to create beautiful things at the end. And I think working with coaches like us, what happens is if you could think about the baseball diamond again, the only sport I can give any mm-hmm. examples about is you're running the bases. You're like on, you know, c- going from, you know, first to second base, right? Mm-hmm. We see the whole field. We see all the way throughout field. We see the, we have a completely different perspective where you can only really focus on going from one base to the next. Mm -hmm. We can be looking five moves ahead at what's coming up and then help you decide what you want to do with the base you're on based on this wider lens that we have the ability to to use in, in service of your goals and your dreams and your desires. And I think that's one of the reasons that when you work with coaches, as I said, you know, I'm both a coach and a client of coaches and I have, you know, all kinds of support is because our coaches see things we don't see and help us see things we might have missed. And I think that that just accelerates our ability to create results and to make changes and to, um, ease into the changes so that it is a little bit easier and it is a little bit less. Sometimes it is rough, but sometimes it doesn't have to be as rough. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you're right. It is like hitting the fast forward button and get on getting your results. I will say that for sure. Yeah. You're going to go a lot faster. Yeah. Um, so if people want to find you, they can go to MaggieReyes.com yes. and then you're on Instagram. Yes. And what's your Instagram handle? Do you know? It is the, oh yes, it is the Maggie Reyes. I always like to joke around that Reyes is like Smith for Latin people, but sorry to every <laughs> other Maggie Reyes out there because I am the <laughs> Maggie Reyes. <laughs> of course. There you go. <laughs> and then you have a podcast as well. So maybe yes, just that as well. It's called the Marriage Life Coach Podcast. I highly recommend it. Amanda's been on it twice. She's amazing. Maybe we can link to one of your episodes. Yeah, I'll put it all in the show notes so that yeah. everybody can find it. Amanda has an epic episode called Responsibility Hoarding, which my clients, I've had her come in and teach this to my clients, and they're just obsessed with responsibility hoarding and the way that you teach it. And it's so incredibly powerful. So we can link to that one so you can they can hear you talking about that. Absolutely. Well, Maggie, I love you. I love you back. (laughs) Okay, everyone. We'll talk to you later. We love you. We love you back too. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. You can look forward to a new episode of this podcast every week. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a favor and leave a review. When you do, it helps this podcast grow and it allows me to help more women just like you. And if you just know that you need help putting this all together, why don't you book a free consult with me? We can talk about you and what's happening in your life and put a real plan in place to manage the stress and anxiety for good. Just head on over to amandahess.ca slash book a call to set that up.